once everything's opened up again, there will be this enthusiastic response to uh, go and, and visit the Adelaide Hills, to buy some of the most beautiful wines in the world. It's really going to be that enthusiasm from the local community and perhaps interstate that will set them on their way again. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. One thing we've learnt from this pandemic is that it's indiscriminate. In some way or another, we've all been impacted. Off the back of the bushfires, our producers have experienced arguably the toughest period of many generations. What impact has that made? Pruhenski and her family have been producing wines for generations, some 150 odd years, in the Eden Valley in South Australia. Their Hill of Grace, Shiraz, has cult status and is considered one of the world's very best wines. Hi, Prue. How are you going? Very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us here. Um, I'd like to chat about a lot of things, but before we get to the pandemic, you know, I know you guys had a lot of difficulties during the bushfires. Uh, could you tell us about that period for you and the impact that it had? Well, it, it all started on December the 20th. It was a horrendous day. Um, there were really, really strong winds, even through the Adelaide Hills, so that the temperature was up high. We'd had low rainfall, even for the hills, um, so the grass was very dry. And then all of a sudden, uh, things burst into flame. It was a branch falling on a power line, I suppose 20 k's north to us, and that fire raged through. Initially, it went straight past us in the forest, and then it came back and burnt us burnt us to the ground. So it was pretty devastating the next day when we went up there. Well, we lost everything. The sheds were just uh, gnarled remnants of steel leaning on each other. There was not a thing recognisable in the sheds, so it was full of all our equipment. And then most of the vineyards were burnt. Even the CCA posts where they should have been, there was just a, a little pile of dust. <laughs> it was so intense. And, uh, uh, you know, we knew from the yield estimates that in the Eden Valley our crops were going to be very, very low and we were relying on Lenswood to be the main production for that for this vintage. So it was kind of heart-rendering when you saw just everything lost. Um, yeah, there wasn't a single vine untouched. So after those circumstances, like how did it make you feel and what, what did you do to, to push forward through that as, as the sort of bushfires backed off and we moved forward? I guess the one reassuring thing was that uh, our insurance was uh, stronger or high enough to cover most of our losses. Um, so that was a relief. And then about two weeks afterwards, we started seeing green shoots uh, coming through at the base of the vines. And that feeling of a sort of resurrection of the vineyard was unbelievably relieving. And you suddenly felt that, no, there, there's hope. 
And I guess there was even more hope because we'd been going through a rigorous process of restructuring our vines from uh, trunk diseases like Utipa. And uh, we're doing a lot of work to restructure our vines. All that bad stuff had gone. <laughs> up in smoke so and and just seeing this green emerge from the base of each vine was oh, it was glorious you just felt relieved and and then I guess everybody started saying oh we need to do this we need to do that we need to put the irrigation on um, and then we had a look around the vineyard not one valve was um, working only the pump shed so that was our biggest task and our first task was to get the irrigation going so we could push those shoots up and through the, the black char. And, uh, yeah, and then we slowly got onto the trellising and then um, worked our way up to actually training up those shoots to reform the trunks. So we've just got to that stage where most of them are up. What sort of impact does that have on, on the vintage? I know you uh, produce many different wines yeah. and you grow them in different areas, but what, what has been the impact on the vintage for that, for that period? Well, uh, I guess we've, we've lost most of our unique little alternative varieties, um, except for one, the Pinot Gris, and that's on a different vineyard. So thank goodness we, we had our Pinot Gris um, untouched. Um, and then, yes, everything else is in minute quantities. I think only the Riesling from Eden Valley came through at about 50% uh, yield. So that was our, our mainstay. <laughs> and um, otherwise, everything's a bit minute. And is that across all the board? Like I've, I've, I think the first time I met you was was on the Hill of Grace and it was about a 38 degree day and I was wearing a black suit, which is a pretty bad idea. Um, but, <laughs> but the wine went down pretty amazingly. Um, has there been an impact there? Is that, is yes, that... so the, the crops are minute, but it was so fascinating to see that the grandfathers, the oldest block, had the best crop. Wow. <laughs> uh, I guess it was just in deeper soil and bigger vines and just coped with the, uh, with the really poor set. We had dreadful weather in November, end of November. So right across all our Shirazes, we, we were really low in crop because of the small, uh, the poor set. The, the, we had reasonable bunches, but they're just very few berries uh, on the bunches. So, yeah, we've got some. And it was just interesting that, from the end of January, we had uh, about 30 mils of rain. And then from then on, we had the most beautiful, cool uh, summer. So the, the grapes that were there ripened up in this, these beautiful conditions. So we had beautiful um, uh, maturity figures, beautiful acidities. So, yeah, it was kind of <laughs> a subtle blessing, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, there's not much of it, but what it, what was there was really good quality. What do you think you'll um, feel or remember about that vintage when, you know, the, the grapes that did survive and when they're pressed and, you know, when you're drinking it, like, can you, can you, can you feel and taste the vintage and the experience that you personally went through in producing it when you open the bottle? I think you'll see this really um, beautiful freshness 
racy freshness in the wines, especially the, the whites. And then the reds, um, I guess, yeah, they're going to be spicy, I reckon. Um, that's what the fruit tasted like. So this beautiful spicy character that comes with cool vintages. So you had pretty um, horrific period of time leading up to a global pandemic. Um, what, what's been in the impact being a, being a luxury brand and, you know, one of the best wines on the planet, you know, when, it, when something like this occurs that affects everyone, you know, how, how are you feeling and what impact has it had on Henschke and, and what you do there? Uh, well, I guess um, we were thinking we we're far away enough from it. But then um, around the 14th of March, I think Justine got um, information that the Tasting Australia was going to be cancelled and we realised that um, yeah, South Australia was going to be influenced. So uh, I guess we had a, a conference call that Sunday and we discussed what we were going to do. So we uh, really started thinking about uh, tours especially. So our, um, our, what we call our VIP tours where we have um, small groups of people um, treated to our high-level high, high wines. We stopped doing that um, because it was mainly international people. And then uh, we actually closed down the winery. So except for the winemaking section. So most of the staff were asked to work from home. Uh, we closed the cellar door later that week. And then uh, we separated our winemaking team into two teams so that if anybody was to get um, uh, infected, then we had a substitute team that we could pull in because we were right in the middle of vintage and we, we just wanted to get through vintage without any um, any upheavals. We didn't want to lose any staff in that area. So <laughs> everything was isolated. Lunch rooms, toilets, everything was separated from the rest. <laughs> and then um, I guess in the vineyard, uh, we weren't under so many restrictions. So what we did is we just asked people to pick well apart we had so much hand sanitizer running around the place. It was incredible. And people looked after their own buckets and snips and things. So anything they touched, uh, they kept to themselves. So when in the vineyard, it was quite manageable. Um, but then we uh, received uh, information that the Barossa Valley was actually a hotspot for COVID-19. And that's when... Oh, I guess we were lucky that we'd actually pulled in this um, prevention plan before that. And so we didn't have any contact with those overseas visitors through our VIP tours. Actually, I think we were pretty close to um, running one of the tours for them. Uh, so that was avoided. And then, um, yeah, we worked through to the end of vintage and... Um, didn't have any impact but on sales the impact on sales was pretty significant so we there was no on-premise or restaurant trade uh cellar doors stopped and then really um 
direct sales and retail were the only thing that was left. So yeah, it was a bit hard. So most of our cellar door staff went on to a JobKeeper scheme so we could keep them until till we reopen, which we hope is shortly. <laughs> you know, um, I've, I've been on one of those VIP tours and um, Stephen told us the story of of Henchke and you know it's a very long there's a there's a long history there but I wondered if you could give us a brief history particularly how it started because I think it's quite quite special and um if you if you could just give us a bit of a bit of a brief history right well I guess because the um Silesians the Germans from east part of Germany um they had they made everything so they had their own meat, eggs, cheese, and wine. And so uh, they all planted vineyards. And uh, around here, around um, Cainton, um, George Fife Angus was actually the, um, the instrumental uh, person who brought all the Silesians across here in the first place. So he was actually based in Cainton. So this was the place for vineyards and wineries. We had seven wineries in Cainton at one stage. So there was a big, uh, or a big cottage industry in this area, and that actually hung on. Uh, and I guess um, the Henchkeys hung on the longest because um, Hill of Grace, although it was a Stanitsky property in the in initial stages, so it was planted just before 1860. Um, and then that <laughs> that passed into the family by marriage, and it kept going right through all the the fortified era right up to 1958 when Steve's father actually made the first deal of grace. So, uh, which followed on from the first Mount Edelston, which was made in 1952. Um, so there was this focus of individual vineyard wines that arose out of that period. And as I think it came with the, that latest migrant um, swing into South Australia, they had a beautiful culture of drinking wine and opening up restaurants. So the the interest in that uh, wine trade was uh, growing, and that's what uh, Steve's father was able to um, supply. So the development of those vineyards and the winery really stemmed from from that. Um, um, I guess lucky, lucky passage. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, given the horrific uh, situation of the sort of 2019 and and sort of the 2020 vintages for you, you've had a bit of uh, joy recently in regards to the Hill of Grace. Um, yes. And the release of the 2015. Like, how has that felt? Releasing and you know opening that for the first time given sort of the last year that you've had personally? Yeah. <laughs> it was a real highlight. And I guess the, when you open up the 2015 Hill of Grace, it's just this release of spice and everything that um, uh, Hill of Grace is known for is contained in that wine, <laughs> right down to its beautiful tannins. So, yeah, it was uh, uh, excitement after, you know, because we were really, really concerned how – do we release, because we normally release Hill of Grace in early May, and we were saying, how do we do this? And then all of a sudden it all came together. Justine was really instrumental in uh, developing up 
all the tastings online and we were doing tastings across the world. <laughs> we had two UK journalists having kill of grace for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nice. And that, <laughs> that was quite novel. So, you know, we found ways of doing it and I think everybody really relished the the, the ability to, to talk with us one-on-one online. It was just uh, an amazing success, a good way to do do the whole release. Could you take us through a bit of um, what it takes to produce a wine like that and, you know, and how you get the result in the end? Like, are you aiming to get a certain certain characters in Hill of Grace or do you just let it be? I mean, what, what's involved in the process of, some, of such a special wine? Well, I guess it's uh, the age of the vineyard uh, is the first step. It, we, and we've seen that um, vineyard produce a certain style and certain spice of Shiraz, and that's almost guaranteed every year. So except the years when we've, like 2011, uh, when it was so wet, there were no grapes picked. So we've got wonderful records going back to 1958 when we know what, what that wine style is. And it, it does its own thing, I think. It, we don't do much else other than really uh, put it through an open fermenter and, uh, yeah, let it do its own thing. It's a very, very simple fermentation and... Um, yeah, we've been doing it since the 50s, uh, yeah, since the late 50s, like that. Um, I guess in in the uh, 1990s, late 1990s, I started looking at organics because we wanted to, because the vineyard's actually uh, dry grown. So as we came into uh, that changing climate where we had less rainfall and we had more uh, temperature spikes through the summer, I started looking at a way of um, covering up the ground. So I used a lot of mulches and in that way it sort of led me to organics and then biodynamics. So that vineyard has been looked after uh, rather well <laughs> um, by, by its, uh, yeah, the, the mulch has been amazing, how it's evened out the te- soil temperature. So I think that's really helped maintain the beauty of Hill of Grace. What is it that you love about what you do? <laughs> Being outside, I think. Um, it's, <laughs> it's uh, and I guess the changing seasons with vines, you see um, a real change. So it's every, every two weeks something else is happening. And I think that's incredible. Sometimes you're racing to keep up, but... Um, there is so much change from September to to April, May. Uh, you, you're just constantly <laughs> out there watching and and making sure everything's working. So, yeah, it's uh, a wonderful, wonderful, really wonderful environment. And it's because it's permanent and intensive. You can actually build in the the sort of Australian natural ecosystem into it. So. I've been working on a lot of native grasses and um, native plants that act as insectaries around the, the vineyard as well. And that's been um, a pretty exciting step, actually, to uh, make 
our vineyards look Australian, not 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 sort of European. <laughs> if if you can see uh, some of the the plants around the the edges, it makes it look very very interesting, and it, it's there for a purpose. It's there to to help uh, support the beneficial insects that are actually working on um, pests in the vineyard. So there's a reason for it too. You have many challenges in producing wine and dealing with the elements, um, but you've had some pretty intensive sort of back-to-back challenges um, just recently. Um, what have you learnt through this time? Um, I guess we we've, we've tested out the management tools we put into the vineyard in the 90s and they're working. Uh, so I, I guess we were lucky to sort of preempt what we might see in the next decade. Uh, so th- thankfully we did it that way. Um, I guess uh, there's some things like um, vine structure, the trellising that we had to improve and we did so yeah i think the 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 10 years that we had in the 90s were times for change and lucky we did that because we 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 feel pretty prepared so it's there's not too much else other than uh yeah poor set when you get a very bad um period during flowering that's really hard to um, manage. But, you know, frost fans, we've had to put in frost fans to prevent uh, the, the frost damage that we were starting to see as a result of the clear nights. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, been interesting to also look at uh, different varieties, actually. Um, we, we had a, an, a small bevy of Grenache, Mataro, all those old varieties that came out with Shiraz. Um, so we've looked at those and we found how suitable they are to um, the warmer climate. So we've not so much plant, planted them up in the in the Eden Valley area because they're too late, but in uh, Uncle Jack's vineyard, which is down towards um, the, the Barossa Valley itself, there we've had um, a vineyard with Mataro and Grenache and that's looking pretty exciting. And then we've also looked at um, uh, Tempranillo and Nebbiolo. Uh, they're both growing at Eden Valley and that's really exciting because you've got something like uh, Nebbiolo, which is really late. It does beautifully as it ripens through in the later part of autumn. So that's been a spectacular success. <laughs> Um, Tempranillo, uh, yeah, we're, we're working on that still. We've got some new clones that we imported from Spain. And so it's, uh, yeah, giving us that opportunity to realign with the weather. You know, a little earlier you were saying about how important the on-premise and sort of restaurant industry is for your wines. Um mm. What are, you, what are you missing about restaurants and have you had any involvement with um, the sort of shift in um, paradigm that they've had down there to adapt and sort of survive? Perhaps n- not me personally, but yeah, it's just constantly keeping in touch with these people and 
and trying to support them. I, I guess there's been a restriction on wine sales for sure from restaurants, but um, I guess the just keeping in touch with them and uh, trying to you know, drop in and say if well, some of them are doing um, takeaway um, menus, so we we make sure we turn up for them. <laughs> so it's it's been uh, it's it's fantastic, you know. Some of the the food that has come from Paul Baker and our, our local fermentation is just starting to deliver, and uh, uh, the opportunities are there to uh, supply anything from pizza to ravioli to. <laughs> it's been fantastic to to just communicate with the the local restaurants and um, yeah, support local. <laughs> what What do you think is the way forward uh, for restaurants, sort of as they slowly open up again? Do you, Do you think that the hospitality sector will be different as a result of this? It's going to take a while, but um, we're all, I think, so. Um, enclosed <laughs> we're dying to to go out again and <laughs> sit down and have a fantastic meal I think they'll, they'll the once the restaurants open for um, a proper service I think they'll they'll be um, really well supported I think everybody's sick of staying at home <laughs> and um, yeah because a lot of I mean, the supermarkets are absolutely challenged in supplying um, a lot of the stock. So, yeah, fancy being restricted on pasta and flour and crazy things like that. And uh, I, I guess that there's one thing that actually has uh, been a benefit, and that's ac accessing the oysters. <laughs> Uh, that, that's been an amazing um, opportunity for us. Um, so often friends are, friends are offering uh, oysters. They, they have to buy them in 12-kilo batches, I think, and that's been spread around the local delis and friends. And So we've had wonderful access to the most beautiful oysters. <laughs> Let's hope that continues. Yes, well... <laughs> I guess all that stuff, um, prawns, oysters, uh, even I guess crayfish at one stage, um, they were they were just available, and you you just read, normally that that's all off for export, but uh, I think you feel like you're you're celebrating your own local produce, having this available to you. So it's yeah, it's just it must be able to help the the um, producers of all the, that beautiful seafood that we don't often see, especially regionally. With the impact that you've had over this sort of recent period and that sort of new life coming through the ground, as you were talking about earlier, and the shoots coming through and um, offering promise, you know, what do you see in yeah. the future and what, what does wine look like in the future in your region? Oh, I think it's uh, for the Adelaide Hills um, it's going to take a while to recover. So two years is, and but the the issue is it was only a very small um, area that was actually um, damaged. So I think it was under a thousand hectares is actually burnt, which 
is 30%, less than 30% of the Adelaide Hills. So despite being catastrophic, it's it's a small small section of the industry that's been affected. Even, even interstate, it's only a very small um, footprint. And I think the perhaps the impact of the bushfires was minor to the impact of COVID. <laughs> Just the, the restrictions on small cellar doors um, who, who rely on that direct sales opportunity, that's been hard. It's been really difficult to um, handle. But once that's all open, I think uh, the... The um, enthusiasm we see in the population, I think that'll burst. Once everything's opened up again, there'll be this enthusiastic response to uh, go and, and visit the Adelaide Hills, to buy some of the, the most beautiful wines in the world. You know, it's, it's really going to be, um, I think, that enthusiasm from the local community and perhaps interstate that will set them on their on their way again. Now, Prue, when you get to eat in a restaurant again, and hopefully that's incredibly <laughs> soon, um, what's it going to feel like? And and more importantly, as one of the world's best winemakers, what are you going to drink? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we must probably buy the most expensive bottle on the menu <laughs> 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 just to get them going. But no, it it's going to be wonderful, you know, and just. A real, I think it's going to be a real celebration when we finally walk through the door. We're going to say, "Yay, you're open again! It's going to be wonderful!" You know, and the, just the taste, the flavours, and the whole um, being served and waited on is just going to be a magic, magic uh, reopening. Well, it's um, made me really excited. I want to do it right now. I, lo- I love your energy. Um, Prue, thank you so much for today and um, good luck with what's uh, sprouting there at the moment and the future of um, your wine industry and um, keep in touch and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.